Hello, this is Tony Campolo and Shane Claiborne. The name of the show is From Across the Pond. However, instead of doing it from outside of Philadelphia, where we usually put this show together, Shane and I are here in the United Kingdom. We're in the uh, studios of Premier Radio that makes the show possible. And we have a very special guest today, uh, along with Sally Mann, who's going to help us to interview this guest. Why don't you take it from there, Shane? It's been an exciting time. We're over here launching Red Letter Christians UK. So this movement that is uh, seeking a Christianity that looks like Jesus again uh, over in the U.S. We've been doing that for about 10 years, but there's been a real hunger for that here in the U.K., not for a new organization or anything like that, but just for some way to connect folks that uh, sometimes can feel really alone and and, and also to give people an opportunity to engage a Christianity um, uh, that that looks like Jesus again. And so Sally has been uh, uh, really, uh, we've been making a lot of new friends. And one of those is here on the show. Sally's been uh, a friend for Thank a few you. years. So Thanks tell for us, that. Yeah. yeah, we're just having great fun connecting, amplifying and empowering people here in the UK. And uh, one of the first people that I've met through this movement is Mick Kane. And you're a trustee of Red Letter Christians UK and one of the spokespeople here for that movement. But Mick, um, that's not your only job you're the chaplain and coordinator of spiritual life for nazarene theological college yeah. where's that based that's based in manchester you like that job title that makes me sound really holy doesn't it chaplain it really and coordinator does. of spiritual, spiritual life. Yeah. life but you're not from manchester mick i've got a regional accent i recognize one when i hear it where are you from yeah this show might need to come with subtitles or a translator right i'm originally from glasgow up in scotland um yeah i left there about eight years ago spent some time in manchester studying uh also led a church ministry in Wales, North Wales, Wrexham, and then spent six years in Belfast, Northern Ireland, just outside Belfast, before coming back to Manchester. So I've been all over the place in the UK. And you you now coordinate the spiritual life of those students <laughs> at the Nazarene uh, College there. But you weren't raised in a Christian family, Mick, no. were you? What was your childhood like? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, I grew up in uh, the east end of Glasgow, um, a place called Parkhead. Um, when we grew up there, we were aware that it was the poorest place and the poorest city in the UK at the time. Goodness. Uh, I don't say that for sympathy. We actually wore that as a bit of a badge, right? Mm. Yeah, we're the poorest. If you're going to be poor, do it right, okay? <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that meant that growing up, a lot of things were normalised in my life that I didn't realise till later in life that it shouldn't have been. Mm. Lots of drug addiction going on at the time, lots of violence. Um, we're dealing with a, a knife crime crisis here in the UK just mm. now but actually in the 90s and early 2000s it was Glasgow, Glasgow. yeah Glasgow you went through the that. Spot yeah that. I think we were the murder capital of Europe at one time mm. um and yeah I, I witnessed knife crime actually lost a couple of friends to knife violence one close friend as well mm. um I also grew up in a bit of a broken home as well um yeah my dad's had a bit of a complicated journey uh, drug addiction um and so I was raised by a single parent um, who really did her best. Mm. She's she's my superhero. I would love to meet uh, your mum. You've been telling amazing. me she's about amazing. about her, Mick. And I love this story about it was really kind of a radical hospitality, which really affected your mum's life. Yeah. 
and has been a, a way that you've kind of worked through your commitment to Jesus today. It's been about food and tables for you, Mick, Amazing, hasn't yeah. it? So tell us the start of the story there. What what was dinner like in your family? Yeah, so, so <laughs> I grew up in a family, and like many kind of working-class poor people, what dinner looked like for us was a microwave meal in front of the TV. My mum was great at many things. She wasn't very good at cooking. Sorry, mum, if you ever listen to this, but uh, she would admit to that as well. Um, so we often got our dinner like a lot of kids did at the time, in front of a big screen television that kept us occupied and it was a microwave meal. And that's what dinner looked like for us for a long time. But we didn't know any different, it was great. But um, something happened when I was about 10 or 11 years old. My my mum found Jesus, effectively. We grew up um, Catholic, um, but that was more of a kind of tribal association than anything else. It wasn't really a practice in faith. Um, but when I was about 10 or 11, my mum's life transformed. She met Jesus and she didn't do it by half. She mm. threw herself right into it. Uh, and we joined this beautiful church in Glasgow in Parkhead, Parkhead Church of the Nazarene. It's still there today. Uh, and some beautiful people showed me what, what the love of Jesus and the life of Jesus and living out this Christian faith really looked like. But very early on, we got invited back to uh, Sunday lunch with the pastor's family. Right. And I'll never forget that, that Sunday afternoon. I, re- I remember several things about it. I remember walking into this big kind of fancy house uh, and one of the first things I noticed is that they had a TV in the corner and it wasn't switched on. <laughs> I thought, what a strange thing for a TV not to be switched on. I thought it must have been broken, yeah, right? But it wasn't, right. just wasn't switched on. Uh, we also got asked to come and sit around a big table for, for dinner. Um, and we didn't sit around the table in our house, but we got asked to sit around a big table. And then someone came out with plates, but they had no food on them put a plate down in front of us and that was strange right this was a cultural exchange absolutely moment for you. Yeah. yeah i was like what's going on here i thought it was some kind of weird christian ritual right and then then people came out with the most wonderful food you've ever seen and they put it in the middle of the table and after someone had said a prayer right we were all invited to dig into this great food reaching across and help like, serving each other this food and it was a, it was a kind of great experience but it was a life-changing experience yeah for my mum and as a result of that for us as well because and what did your mum do after this meal so there was a, a kind of a a practical way yeah. that she was affected by this hospitality yeah. of this pastor's family first thing she did that week sally was she went out and bought a table Isn't she went out mm, and bought wow. a table and put it in the house and and from that day on dinner time changed for us we would gather around that table and we'd mm. sit with mum mm. but wait, wait till I tell you this this is really funny I kid you not she, she, she bought a table and we'd sit around the table for dinner mm. right she would put empty plates in front of us and then we would hear the microwave ping and she would come out with the microwave meals and put them in the middle of the table <laughs> and great. we'd help ourselves <laughs> to microwave meals right but it wasn't about the food it was about what was going on around that table. Mm. We grew up in, like I said, that poor area. We were exposed to so many different things. I'm sure a single parent at the time was uh, at risk of losing mm. us mm. to some of the stuff that was going on, but that gave us a connection point. Mm. Every single day where she could ask, how are you doing, me and my sister? How's life? How's school? These mm. types of things. And, and this s- has shaped your life because uh, when you discovered Jesus for yourself, you've continued this radical hospitality. And um, should be noted. That this is the Jesus style, the way that Jesus disciplined and mm. taught his disciples 
mm. was around a dinner table. Yeah. I mean, uh, how many times as you read through the New Testament, you read through the words of Jesus, it says, and when they sat down to eat, Jesus taught them over and over again. The dynamism around a table, the dynamism of a meal, uh, crucial. Uh, if any of our people are Lutheran, uh, most of Luther's theology is entitled in a book entitled Table Talk. Mm, uh, mm. You know, that it, what went on with Luther and his followers at the table became the essence of the Lutheran church. Mm. And what Jesus talked to his disciples about as they sat around eating together, that became the essence of the Christian faith. Just interjecting here a little yeah, bit. Absolutely. So, I, I mean, so I, I teach my students this, right? And, and I point to these stories in the scripture. And one of the most powerful things I find about it, the one thing, or uh, one of the most important things Jesus tells us to do after he's gone is do what? Get around the table. Mm. Get around the table and, and share the bread and the wine together. We often focus on the symbolism of the bread and the wine, right? And that's so important. But by doing that, if we take a step back, there's a really important symbolic power to be seen. And do it around the table. It's about coming together mm. around the table. And so there's this tension. We've been studying it together, some of us and me and my students. And we find this kind of tension, I think, in the New Testament around tables, particularly in the Gospels. That There's a culture of hospitality. So it is the done thing. Still to this day in the Middle East, there is a culture of hospitality. Mm -hmm. But there's also, a, there's also a, a kind of a radical approach by Jesus because when he gets around the table, he's criticised by who he's invited yeah. around the table. People yeah. say, look at this man, he sits and he eats with tax collectors and sinners and drunkards mm. and gluttons. And that's incredible. I love mm. that challenge you gave me, Mick. You were describing that and you said you ask your students that one way to measure whether they're following Jesus is to ask them, who's invited around your table? Yeah. That's yeah. great, isn't it? Yeah, so who's, who sits around your table? Absolutely, who sits around your table? And also to find the tables in your life as well, right? Mm. The, ta the table's symbolic of something. Something beautiful happens at a table. There's a, there's an, there's a equalising power around the table because we're expressing a basic need that we both have, right? We need the, we need the, uh, we need food to sustain us. Mm. And that's uh, and, practiced yeah. at your college, actually, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, the Nazarene we, College. Yeah. You're a really diverse community, and you and your wife live there. That's yeah, right. Yeah, that's what we do. So actually, I, I talk about NTC right now in this season of my life as being my table right now. So when we were asked to come and. Uh, be chaplains at NTC. We were asked to move in uh, and do it. And actually, that's your style of ministry. So we we live in me, and my wife, and and my three year old uh, with with the students. There's about mm. thirty of us on campus, but um, we've got up to three hundred students at NTC. Um, and it's my job to kind of look after the worshiping rhythms and the the prayer rhythms and the student support. Um, but eating together is a key part of that. That's mm. that's that's often what we do. That's built into our rhythm. Yeah. It's not always easy, though, is it, Mick, no. to live in community? And we were talking about in uh, Hebrews 13, too, where it mentions that you should always welcome the stranger. You should always show hospitality because you may entertain angels. But not everyone that comes through your community, I guess, <laughs> presents as an angel. There's yeah. a struggle there, isn't there, yeah. in, in meeting people who are different from different cultures, different backgrounds. How does that work out for you? Is, is it... Yeah, so there's um, there's a beautiful integrity about it, I've found. It's, it's easy to do ministry from a distance. It's easy mm. to stand on a platform for a couple of hours mm. a week. I mean, you can be anybody on that platform. But when you live together and when you eat together, people get all of you. There's no hiding. Mm. And so when you're having good days, people will celebrate with you. I mean, that's what good communities do. But when you have bad days as well, 
I mean, you weep together, right? That's what yeah. the scriptures mm. says. That's what love looks like. Weeping together and celebrating together. The Apostle Paul mm. says that, doesn't he? And when we live together, there's there's just no hiding. Uh, for me, it doesn't make sense to do it any other way. Mm. This idea of ministry, I, I believe that it's kind of opening up these parts of our lives to each other. That's so lovely. We've been talking to Mitch, who is one of the trustees of the Red Letter Christians movement here in the United Kingdom. Uh, if you want to find out about this movement and I not if you must find out about this movement go to the website redletterchristians.org.uk please put that UK at the end of it or you'll end up with the US version of it and uh, and the movement has started in the United States but it's it's moving across the United Kingdom now and Sally Mann is here along with uh, Shane Claiborne and we're interviewing Mitch Mick Mick Kane yeah (laughs) Mick is 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 uh, uh, working out of a Nazarene college uh, in in uh, Manchester, and uh, Nazarenes. I mean, you mentioned Catholics. We don't give a hoot about labels. Uh, there are zealous Christian Catholics. There are zealous Christian Baptists. There are zealous Christian Anglicans. You name the group. There's there's zealous Christians in every one of them, but. Uh, the Nazarenes have something very special to offer to the larger Christian community. If you were to put that in a nutshell, what would you say it is? Yeah, so uh, traditionally we were known for Christian holiness, right? But I think in, in recent years we've we've reframed how we understand that. Some people think of the word holiness and they think it's kind of straight-laced and kind of wearing suits and hats to church. But um, how we've grown to understand holiness, it's rooted in, in the life of John Wesley. And he understood holiness as perfect love, right? Radical love, Jesus-shaped love. Um, and holiness can be summed up by simply the words of Jesus. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Actually, the Church of the Nazarene is really important to me only because it's also a, a teetotal uh, denomination. Now, some people kind of back off a little bit when they hear that, but but think about my background. I came from a background of addiction. Actually, in my late teens and my early 20s, I fell into addiction myself, drugs and alcohol. And so when I found love and, and community in the Church of the Nazarene, I had this safe space where I knew that I wouldn't be exposed to alcohol. So it's not about um, rules or religion or legalism. It's about justice, really. And so I, I believe that, that my denomination are kind of well-placed to minister specifically into the lives of those people who struggle and get around tables again with them. And they mm. know that that's a safe environment because that's been a safe environment for me. That's a good way to say it. Yeah, you know, I, we don't minimize holiness. Right, right. I mean, uh, Jesus uh, calls us to holiness. We, we, we are asked to be holy uh, even as God the Father in heaven is holy. Uh, Shane, you want to well, Yeah, your... and it means set apart. You know, it means that we're, we're trying to be different. And I, I think as you talked about the, the, the teetotaling, the no alcohol, you know, uh, Dorothy Day, who's been a great teacher of ours, the, one of the mothers of the Catholic worker movement, she said, we have to create an environment where it's easier to be good. And that's a part of hospitality Absolutely. is creating a, an environment where it's easier to be good and especially easier honoring um, the, the different uh, challenges and histories that we bring to the table 
um, in, in our community, we also like have uh, generally don't have any alcohol at any event because we're trying we're we're honoring the damage that it's done in in all of our communities. But also, we've got tons of people in recovery that are at everything we do. You know, yeah. we're all recovering from some something, yeah. but there's people recovering from alcohol and from different addictions, and um, it's a good way to think about. It. I, we got to pause just for a second. We'll get, we'll jump back in, but uh, just to say uh, for everybody listening in. Thanks for joining us. This is Shane Claiborne and Tony Campolo. Our show is Across the Pond. And this week we're over here in the UK. And uh, on the show we've had Sally Mann, who's been helping host. We had her as a guest, and she's one of the leaders over here, one of the spokespersons for Red Letter Christians UK. But we've also had Mick Kane, who's a great friend. And we've been traveling all over the UK as we spread the fire of God's love and get to know each other and build relationships between communities. So we'll we'll dive back in. And, you know, as, as you... Um, I heard you just explaining like yesterday, you know, these these rules of about, um, you know, we, we think sometimes like ha- having this idea of, well, we don't have sex before we're married, you know, like we don't have uh, alcohol in the house and the, these holiness things or purity can, it's, it's less about um, rules and regulations that are oppressive and it's about everybody everybody being free isn't it and and sometimes we think oh i want to be free to sleep with whoever i want and then you realize man i'm actually the one who's getting worked in this i'm i'm addicted to my own like sex sexual addiction or whatever you know yeah well i was just going to say saint augustine from the catholic tradition once when they ask questions can i do this can i do that can i drink this can i do this his answer was simple Love God and do as you please. Mm. What an interesting statement. Love God and do as you please. The more you love God, the more you want to do the things that will please God. When you love somebody, you try to do the things that that person would appreciate. If you love God like you should, you'll do the things that you know God would appreciate. And he wouldn't appreciate an alcoholic getting drunk. He would not appreciate a sex addict screwing around. Uh, you, you end up pleasing God. And that's what holiness is about at its best. Well, you know, you think about the hospitality in our homes and how we try to honor each other. But this also works itself into society and into the uh, policies and the common good. So, I mean, some of the, the conversation around freedom in the U.S. and the... Uh, 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 the, like, for instance, the I want to be free to have however many weapons I want. You know, I have a right to bear arms, and that means I no one's coming for my assault rifle. And it's interesting because James Madison, who I know I'm not going to get too much into this in the UK, but the, the, who wrote the Second Amendment said, liberty can be ab- abused by power, but it can also be abused by our liberty. Like liberty can encroach on, on encroach on someone. So the, the scripture talks about this. You know, we are free, but don't let our freedom um, hurt someone else. And, and it, it seems like, you know, some of this is about entitlement. Well, I should be able to have guns. I should be able to drink. I should be able to do whatever I want. And part of it is going, actually, we are submitted to Jesus. We're submitted to each other. So we'll have to do another whole show on holiness, man. But go, go ahead, Sally. <laughs> We're so excited to be coming uh, round. We're bringing uh, Shane Claiborne and Tony Campolo up to Manchester as part of this launch of Red Letter Christians UK. 
You've been really networking in Manchester. What's going on in Manchester? What are we going to see when we come up to you? Yeah, that's been important. Um, the, the networking idea, we've tried to get as many people as possible in the conversation. But by doing that, we've we've understood that, that knife crime is only one of many issues that's going on in Manchester. And so we've kind of had a bit of a, a shotgun approach. Uh, and so we're trying to address a, a number of different things. We're going to meet in Piccadilly Gardens, which is described by Visit Manchester as the welcoming hub at the heart and soul of the city. Mm. But us who live in Manchester have found a couple of things about Piccadilly Gardens recently. Um, in the recent political climate, it's become a bit of a platform for the, the far right and neo-Nazis, and they've started to gather there. Um, when you walk through Piccadilly Gardens, many things are visible. You see drug addiction, you see homelessness, you often see violent crime going on there. In fact, it was described by a judge recently as the most criminalised space perfect per square foot in the whole of the UK. Really? Yeah. So we're running an event called Redeeming wow. Redeeming Piccadilly. Perfect place. For Absolutely. Us, yeah. So we're we're running mm. a, we're running an event called Redeeming Piccadilly Gardens. Redeeming, and Piccadilly. Redeeming Piccadilly Gardens. We want to try and reclaim that space That's for, for so what good. the people of Manchester want it to be. This welcoming hub uh, in the centre of the, mm. the city. So we're doing a number of different things. We've got a, a little kind of station where people are going to be able to light a candle and grieve and we, we have a word in Christianity known as lament we believe that's important lament some of the things that have gone on in our city and, and in the space we, we're going to have a station where people can come and break bread with each other and um, breaking bread is important not only in Christianity it's but your table again absolutely isn't it you're table. bringing that's your table absolutely. to Piccadilly Gardens absolutely we're going to have an anvil there we couldn't get a blacksmith unfortunately but we want to tell the story of redeeming those weapons um, so we're going to be banging on an anvil and making some noise and as we bang mm. on that anvil we're going to read out the names of some of the young people who've been victims to knife crime recently and then as that gathers a crowd uh, around we're going to tell the story of reshaping knives we've also partnered with an organization called guns to goods who are doing some tremendous work we're going to be selling some of their jewelry which is made That's right. so they yeah. take some of this uh, seized guns from the streets and they turn it into jewelry is that right yeah they turn it they turn it into jewelry although they've been doing some incredible things as well they they grind down the gun metal <laughs> this is and amazing they, they, i was hearing about yeah this. they turn it into ink right into and they, paint yeah ink. to paint yeah, and, yeah. and do yeah. it in all sorts of art that's incredible and so when i told it to someone he said wow the pen is greater than the sword right i thought yeah. how good is that um, so we need we need them to write out the uh, Sermon on the Mount in oh, red letters wow. with uh, ink made from melted down weapons. How that about that? That would be great. <laughs> That's incredible. That would, yeah. that would be great. Yeah, we're also going to be having a live conversation um, in quite a creative way where the people of the public can come and contribute uh, about some of the issues that we're seeing: homelessness, uh, addiction, violent crime, and climate change uh, as well. So yeah, I, I look forward to that on Wednesday. And, and as one who's like seen some of your, you know, you've you've seen this firsthand to some of your friends. Uh, were victims of knife violence. I heard you tell one of those stories, and we watched these young people beating on these knives in Newham, and uh, it was it was really touching because it feels like it's shaping our imaginations. It's, it's not just kind of this like superficial symbolic thing. And one of the things that you shared about was this space for lament, and you yeah. just mentioned that again. Maybe. Uh, that we get too quickly to the praise, um, and yeah. there is a place for praise, of course, but we also have a space for lament. Yeah, you're right. It's Walter Brueggemann, right? Isn't it the the um, prophetic imagination? That is a really powerful book, mm. and in that he talks about the importance of lament 
before we begin to reimagine and and clear the way for praise as well so as I reflect back to as I've been reflecting on this I remember a time when when I lost a, a good friend one of us suckle uh, to knife crime he went he went up a, a flat to, to buy drugs actually and someone slit his throat and he died and mm. one of my other friends mm. held him in his arms as he died but I, I'll never forget what happened after that for three days after that we gathered as a, a bunch of young people at that place and, and people in the community would come and they would lay down the football tops and flowers uh, cities that have had knife crime problems you often see these little vigils popping up mm. around the city and it's not until kind of recently as I've been reflecting on lament I, I, I understand how important that was for us as young people to, to, to have that space to grieve what happened I've got mm. some friends looking into the idea of lament and, and they believe that when we don't create space to lament and to grieve some of the, the difficult things that happen um that grief comes out in really unhealthy mm. places mm. as well. And some people believe that it's feeding some of the division and hatred that's going on in our country right now. I think they're onto something. Mm. I mm. Think, yeah, um, I think so. Uh, if the Red Letter Christian Movement is about anything, it's about living out the teachings of Jesus as highlighted with red letters in many of the old Bibles. I do have to say this. I do have to say this. That, that was my son calling uh, from the United States. If you heard the noise there, that was my son. Uh, he, he didn't get me yesterday from Father's Day, so he's trying to make up for it by calling today. And I'm going to tell him it's not going to work. The truth is uh, that Jesus did not come into the world to get us ready for the next world. I grew up with that. Uh, you need to become a Christian, so if you die, you'll go to heaven. Uh, you need to become a Christian because the trumpet may sound, the Lord may return, and you won't be ready for heaven. It's not about that. Red letter Christianity is how to change life in this world. We want to transform life in this world. I have come, said Jesus, that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly, more fully, more mm. without the negative connotations that go with our culture. I want you to live life and become fully human, even as I am. And that's what this movement is about. I always We're, tell people I'm excited about life after death and we'll party like there's no tomorrow and there won't be. But this is not just about a Jesus who came to prepare us to die, right? But a Jesus who came to prepare us to live. It's it's coming to the to the closing of this uh, interesting interview with a Sal. Yeah, Sal, you you got a benediction for us, don't you, Sal? No, say well, something good. Well, we'd love to invite all those who are, are working for that abundant life in their community to network with us. We want to be part of what you're doing, and we mm. want to amplify your voice. We want to empower you. We want to connect you to people like Mick Kane, who can mm. uh, who can tell his stories in your community too. So if you come to redletterchristians.org.uk, you can connect with us there and we want to hear from you. You can mm. sign up as a Red Letter Christian right there on the website and uh, you can contribute because this movement needs financial support. Blessings on you. Keep the faith and live out Christ. Thanks for joining us.